one who separates a part of a pit that is full of wine as truma. Truma is a portion of one's produce, or in this case of one's wine, that he needs to give to a kohen. And in the scenario of the Mishnah, he takes a bucket or a container and he puts it into the pit that is full of wine. And he's designating the wine that is coming up in the container as truma on behalf of all of the wine in the pit. As we learned, there is a law when one tithes of Minha Mukov, which means that one is obligated to designate a part of the produce that is near to all of the rest of the produce as the particular tithe that he is separating. And that's why he would be designating the wine as truma as he is lifting the wine out of the pit, as opposed to first taking some wine out of the pit and only then designating it as the tithe. No, since he is obligated to separate the tithe while the wine is right next to the rest of the wine, so it's as he lifts that wine out of the pit that he is designating it as truma. Now, there's a certain risk involved that once he designates it as truma, as he's lifting it out of the pit, if any of that wine falls back into the pit, or if the container breaks and the wine ends up falling back into the pit, this would mean that truma is falling into the chulin, the unsanctified wine in the pit. And unless there is a hundred times more chulin than truma, all of the pit will now be forbidden for a non-coin to consume that wine because it's mixed with truma, and truma is forbidden for a non-coin to consume. The name for a mixture of chulin and truma when there is less than a hundred times more chulin is a meduma. A meduma is a mixture of chulin and truma, and it's forbidden for a non-coin to eat that. And this would cause the owner a great loss of money. Although he's able to sell the wine to a koyen, truma is worth far less than regular unsanctified food or drink, for the simple reason that there are far fewer consumers. Only koyenim are able to eat or drink the truma, and therefore it sells for less. So in order to avoid this risk, Omar the person said, he declared, Harizoi truma almanas shetale sholem. I'm declaring this truma on condition that the wine will come up literally in peace. That means that it won't fall back and it won't break. And only on condition that that happens, I'm designating it as truma, which means that if the wine does end up spilling back into the pit, so retroactively, his entire designation as truma won't have taken effect, which means that it's not truma wine falling into the pit, it's just regular tevel wine that hasn't been tithed. Now the question is, which occurrences are included in his condition? The Mishnah says, He means to include the wine coming up in peace and remaining intact in terms of the container breaking or the wine spilling back into the pit. These are foreseeable occurrences and therefore it's assumed that that's included in his condition. However, Avalomina Tuma, but in terms of the wine becoming impure, that is not included in his condition. If, as he's lifting up the wine from there, somebody who is impure comes along and he touches the wine, so it would be forbidden for him to consume that wine. It's true that this doesn't affect the wine in the pit, but the wine in the container would be forbidden to consume. It's Tuma which is impure. Now, since this is an unlikely occurrence, we assume that it was not included in his intention when he made that condition, and therefore the truma would not 
be nullified retroactively. It, it would remain trumah. Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Shimon says, even if the container of wine becomes impure, we assume that that is included in his condition and therefore the truma would not be truma retroactively. The truth is, and this is one of the reasons why the Mishnah is related to Amasechta, Rabbi Shimon is talking specifically about the truma of a tavulyoim. Rabbi Shimon agrees that a regular person who is impure usually is not situated in the wine press because he would end up making all of the wine impure. So that is definitely an unforeseeable occurrence that even Rabbi Shimon agrees is not included in his condition. However, a Tavul Yoim, who has a very weak level of impurity, sometimes would be situated there because in terms of most of the wine, he can't even make it impure because he himself is on the level of a Sheni Latoma. So since it would be more common for a Tavul Yoim to be there, so Rabbi Shimon understands that it is included in the condition and therefore if the Tavul Yoim touches the Truma wine and makes it Tome, then retroactively the wine would actually not be considered truma, in which case it also wouldn't become tome, because a tavulyon can only make truma wine impure. Now the bishop goes back to the first case, nishbra, if the container of wine broke, then inomadamas, it does not create a maduma, a mixture of truma and chulen in the mixture, because retroactively it didn't become truma at all. But all of this is only true because of his condition that he said that if it comes up in peace and nothing happens to it, then I don't want that only then I want it to be truma. So the Mishnah clarifies that until what point do we say that it can break and retroactively it won't be truma and it won't cause the the wine in the mixture to be a maduma? The answer is because they should It's got to be still close enough to the pit that if it were to fall and roll, it would roll and reach the pit and fall into the pit. But if he had already taken it further away from the pit, so now it's considered to have come out of the pit in peace, and it would be considered truma even if something happens to it later on, and the wine somehow does end up falling back into the pit. That's already something that happened later on, and it would be truma falling into the pit. Rabbi Yosef says, Even if somebody originally had the intention to make the condition when he separates the truma, that he only wants to make it truma if nothing happens, but when it came around to it, he forgot to make the condition. Rabbi Yosef says, That doesn't matter, if the barrel, the container ends up breaking, it does not cause the wine in the pit to become a maduma, and indeed it's as if you made the condition. Because it's as if the bastin have made this condition for him. It's a stipulation that the Chachomim understood to be implicit in his separating and designating of the truma. So even though he himself did not make that condition, and in general the person who is performing the action is the one who needs to make the stipulation, over here, the Chachomim, so to speak, make that stipulation on his behalf. Solik Maseches Tvul Yoim Mazeltov. Maseches Yodaim. Yodaim literally means hands and Midoiraisa. According to the Torah, it's impossible for one's hands alone to be Tomei. If a person touched a source of impurity, then he becomes impure. His hands are not considered to be a separate entity to the person himself, and therefore, in the same way as whenever an item touches a source of impurity, the entire item becomes Tome, and not just that particular part of the item that actually had contact with the source of impurity. So too, whenever a person becomes Tome, the entire person becomes Tome. 
However, there are a certain number of cases that Mitra Bonon, one's hands alone, become impure. And this is already a sign that we're not really discussing a regular type of impurity over here. And the impurity of hands is almost unique in that the reason that the Chachamim decreed impurity is not really anything to do with the laws of impurity or stringencies in the world of impurity. Rather, if we take the classic example of one's hands being impure if he hasn't been watching over them, and there is a possibility that his hands have touched unclean, sweaty parts of his body, in which case if he ends up touching the meat of carbonis or he touches sanctified truma, which is a portion of one's produce which he designates and gives to a koyain, there's a concern that he might touch that food whilst his hands are still dirty from his sweat, and he might end up even spoiling the food by touching it, and in order to avoid spoiling sanctified food, the Chachomim decreed that one's hands are considered to be a shani litumah, which is two levels lower down than a classic primary level of impurity, an avhatumah, and this level of impurity, a shenilatuma, is something that can't make anything except for sanctified foods impure. It happens to be it can also make liquids impure, Madrabanan. But the point is, this would require a person to wash his hands before having any contact with truma or the meat of carbonice. So the reason for this impurity hasn't really got anything to do with the laws of impurity. It's in order to avoid spoiling sanctified food. In order to do so, the Chachamim decreed that his hands are tome. Another cause for one's hands to be tome, let's say that he has been watching over his hands since the last time he washed them. If he touches a Sefer Torah, his hands will also become tome in that case. Now, in terms of the laws of impurity, this seems very strange. The Sefer Torah is considered to be a holy item, it's not a source of impurity. But once again, the Chacham decreed his hands to be Tomei because they didn't want him to touch the Sefer Torah. By touching the Sefer Torah, it could cause it to wear out. Or more to the point, if his hands are not clean, then he shouldn't be touching the Sefer Torah. And in order to make sure that he wouldn't, the Chacham said that if he does touch the Sefer Torah, then his hands will become Tomei. A third example of Tumas Yodayim, when one's hands become impure, is if he touches Kisvei Kodesh, which refers to other scrolls of Tanakh. And the reason for this, we are going to understand, is slightly different to when one touches the Sefer Torah itself. Over here, it's because people would store their Truma food on the same shelves as they would put their scrolls of Tanakh. They're both holy items, they might have had space there, they would be able to keep the Truma over there, away from the regular food, so they would know that this food is Truma. But this led to a situation where, in the same way as mice search for food, the mice would come and eat and nibble at the Truma. And at the same time, they would nibble at the scrolls, and this ended up causing a situation where these holy scrolls of Tanakh would be ruined. Because of this, the Chacham decreed that the scrolls themselves would be a source of impurity for any truma that touches them, and likewise, if one's hands touches them, they would also become Tomei as a shani Tumar. And this would prevent people from storing truma over there because the truma would end up becoming impure and it's forbidden to allow truma to become impure.
Now, there is one last example of one's hands becoming impure, and that is if he touches something that is a Rishon Latumar. In general, a person as well as objects are only able to become Tome if they have contact with an Avhatumar, a primary level of impurity, and then they would become a Rishon Latumar, which is one level lower than that. But if a Rishon Latumar touches the person or an object, then already the impurity is too small and such a low level would not impl- would, would not apply to a person or an object. Only food that touches a Rishon Latumar becomes impure as a Shainla Tumad, which is two levels lower than an Avatumar. However, since the Chachomim decreed that one's hands that he hasn't been watching over are impure, the reason for that being that they want to make sure that his hands are clean before he touches Trumar, but once they did make that decree, they saw it within reason that if somebody, let's say, did wash his hands and he's been watching over them since then, so he knows that they are clean, but he then touches something that is a Rishon Latumar. Since even somebody who just hasn't been watching his hands, his hands are impure, if a person touches with his hands a Rishon Latumar, the Chachomims reasoned that all the more so his hands should become impure Midurabonon. If hands that haven't been watched over by themselves, they become impure midrabbanon. So all the more so if they actually touch something that is impure, even if the person himself does not become Tommy as a result. So to summarize, there are four cases, four different reasons for a person's hands to become impure. The first is if they haven't been watched over, they might be unclean in order to avoid the person touching and spoiling sanctified food, his hands are considered to be Tome. The fourth example that we mentioned, which over here we're now going to mention second, because it's related, is if the hands touch a Rishon Latoma. Alright, the third example is if a person touches a safe Torah, and the fourth is if he touches a scroll of Tanakh. Now, in the same way as the impurity of hands is unique, the purification process in order to purify the hands is also pretty unique in the world of the laws of Tumar. Although it is possible to purify one's hands by dipping them into a mikveh, just the hands alone, one is also able to purify them via netilas yodaim, which is when he uses a container of water and he pours that water over his hands Twice. The first time that he does so, he purifies his hands, but the issue is that the water that is on his hands itself has become impure. Midrabonon, a liquid that touches even a shenila tomar, becomes impure. So now he has impure liquid on his hands. He should pour water from the container over his hands a second time in order to purify that water that is on his hands. The Masechta opens up by teaching May Revius, Nosen Layodayim. If there is a volume of at least a Revius, a quarter of a loig of water in a container, it can, that, that water can be used to pour over one's hands for Natilas Yodayim. That's the minimum amount of water that needs to be in the container in order to do Natilas Yodayim. However, that does not mean that one needs to pour a revius of water on his hands. It just needs to be that the container which he is using contains at least that amount of water. He needs to pour on his hands enough to make sure that his hands get cleaned. The Mishnah teaches a very interesting law with regards to this, that le'echod, this is true for one person, and af even for two. 
if he pours the water over one person's hands and then there remains in that container less than a revius of water, nevertheless, he can use that remaining water to pour over a different person's hands and that would purify them. And even though the second person's hands are being purified from water that comes from a container that contains less than a revius, this is a unique, fascinating concept called shioritara. Shioritara means that it's the remainder. Since the container had the ability to purify, the small amount of water that is left as a remainder of that water that had the ability to purify can also be used immediately to purify the second person's hands. Alright, machtes loig, if the container had in it a volume of half a loig, which is double a revies, then the Shleisha are even three or four people's hands could be purified from that container. And again, even if less than that amount of water remains in the container, since he began when there was enough, so he can continue onwards. Miloig, if there was a loig of water in the container, then he would be able to use that water to purify even five or ten or a hundred people's hands. The truth is, a hundred is a bit of an exaggeration because you need to pour enough water to actually clean the person's hands. But the point is, there's no limit to the number of people's hands who are able to be purified if there was that amount of water inside the container to start with, as long as each person pours enough water on his hands in order to clean them properly. When there's less than that, then we're concerned that the person who is pouring the water on his hands is not going to pour enough water on his hands because he knows that there are other people who need to use that water to clean themselves. So only if to start with there was a very significant amount of water, whole log, only then would we be safe to assume that the person will clean his hands properly and he won't start thinking, oh, I need to leave lots of water for the next people as well. The last person who uses the water to pour over his hands, it must be that there is no less than a revius of water in the container when he comes to do so. Rabiosi essentially argues against the whole concept of shiaritara. He says that since the minimum amount of water that needs to be in the container is a revius, a quarter of a loig, that always applies and it doesn't help to say that since when the, since the container originally contained a revius, and the water that's there now is a remainder of that water, so that should be enough. Rabiosi argues and he says that the container always must contain at least a revius of water for it to be valid for the tirasio daim. Now, if somebody poured water over his hands and then a second time in order to purify that water, and when he did so a second time, he didn't pour water over all of the water that was on his hands. In order to purify all of the water on his hands, he must make sure to pour water the second time over his entire hand. But the Mishnah says that in al Hashanim, you would be able to add water onto the water that he poured a second time, meaning the area on his hand on which water was not poured a second time, he can just add more water so that even that part of his hand gets water poured over a second time. On the other hand, the first time that he pours water over his hands, there it must be done all in one go, that the water must cover his his entire hand in one go, and therefore, if he poured water in a way that it didn't go over his whole hand, it won't help to add more water on the area of his hand that hasn't yet got wet. 
rather he would need to start again, he should dry his hands and pour water onto his hands again all in one go. And only then would his hands become pure. Mishnah base, a utensil, a container is needed in order to perform Nitilas Yodayim. Now the definition of a utensil, a kli, for our purposes, is pretty much something that can contain and hold the water. And the Mishnah compares and really contrasts this with the definition of a kli for becoming impure. The entire Masechus Kalim essentially is a Masechta that talks about the different materials and different items that are able to become Tomei. And the Mishnah teaches that with regards to Netilas Yodayim, Bekola Kalim Nesim any container can be used for Netilas Yodayim. Aflu even utensils made of animal dung or stone or clay that hasn't been processed, these materials are not able to become tome at all. So in terms of becoming tome, they do not have the halachic definition of a kli. Nevertheless, in terms of nitilas yodayim, they are considered to be a kli because at the end of the day, they are able to hold and contain water. And now the mission says the flip side of this, that with regards to impurity... A broken kli, a broken container, if the broken piece still has the ability to hold things and to contain within it some water, so it would still have the ability to become tome. However, with regards to Nantilas if it is broken, then it does not have, it would not be fit for Nantilas So the Rishna says, A nisnim layodayim, lebedofnus akalim. I cannot do Nantilas with a part of the container that was the wall of the container once it's broken off. Nor with the base of a machatz, which was a very large container that was used to fill up bottles of wine from the wine vat. So if it's broken and the base still has the ability to hold some wine or water... Nevertheless, it's a broken utensil, it's a broken container, and a broken container cannot be used for Nutilas Yodayim. And likewise, the top of a barrel, if it broke off, that is also considered to be something that is broken and is not fit for Nutilas Yodayim. Even though, in terms of becoming impure, it does have the halakhic status of a kli and it could become impure. The Mishnah adds, One is not able to pour water onto his friend's hands from within the palms of his hands because that's not considered to be a kli. And the Mishnah compares all of this to the solution that contains poradumo ashes. If a person becomes impure from a dead body, his purification process involves being sprinkled with a solution of water and the ashes of a totally red cow, a paraduma. And the law is that when Pnesha Ema Malin, because one is not able to fill up the container with water, the Ein or to add the paraduma ashes to that water, the Ein Mazin, Mechatos, or to actually sprinkle that solution that contains water and the ashes of a paraduma, the enosin layodayim elobakli, and one also cannot do intiasodayim without a container. The Mishnah is just bringing examples of things that require a kli, a container, and that the definition of a kli in that case is unlike the definition with regards to something that can become Tomei. Over here, it depends more on the reality. Is it considered to be a container that is complete, that is whole, or is a broken container? Another example is with regards to a 
dead human body that is in the room, anything in that room underneath the same roof becomes Tome. However, if there is a totally sealed earthenware utensil, then something that's inside of that totally sealed earthenware utensil is protected from impurity. But it must be that the totally sealed item has the status of a kli, and it's not broken. And that's what the Mishnah says, Only a container would protect that which is inside of it if it is totally sealed shut. But if there is a broken piece that has been totally shut and sealed, so even if it's sealed, it would not protect that which is inside of it from becoming impure. And the Mishnah ends off with regards to the law of The law is that an earthenware utensil becomes tome if there is a source of impurity within its airspace. Now, if there is a kli, a container, inside the oven, and the opening at the top of the container is above the oven, if a source of impurity enters into the airspace of the oven, so the oven becomes tome. If there is something inside of the container that is inside the oven, it is protected from becoming impure. Essentially, a kli inside of another kli does not become tome, but this is on condition that the opening of the kli is not does, does not open into the oven itself, because otherwise it, the impurity would come from the airspace of the oven into that item itself. So the Mishnah says, miyad only a kli, something that is a whole complete utensil that is inside of an earthenware utensil that has become tome, only that would have the ability to protect that which is inside of it from being impure. Mishnah Gimel, this Mishnah is going to list three different invalidations of the water inside the u- container that might be used for doing the Tadassiyodayim. Water that has become unfit for even an animal to drink because of its dirtiness. If that water is in a container and it's going to be used for Tadassiyodayim, it is invalid. However, if the water is in the ground and one is going to dip his hands into that water because it's a mikveh, kasherim, it would be valid as a mikveh for purifying one's hands. A mikveh that is dirty does not become invalidated. This is a law specific to Nutilas Yodayim. The second invalidation of the water is if different types of ink or dyes fall into the water, to the extent that the appearance of the water changes, that water would be invalidated because of the change of its appearance as a result of this foreign substance that entered into it. And the third invalidation is if if somebody performs a task with that water, or if he soaks his bread in that water, so he is using that water for something else, that would also invalidate the water. says, Even if somebody intended to soak his bread in one container of water, but it ended up falling into a different container of water, the water into which the bread fell would remain valid. Even though he technically did perform a task with that water because he wanted to soak the bread in water, and he did that. Since he wanted to do so with the other water, so the actual soaking of this bread is considered to be unintentional and in terms of that water. A totally unintentional act is not considered to be performing a task with the water. 
the first opinion of the Mishnah argues that since he wanted to do this anyway, the fact that it fell into different water doesn't really make a difference because he wanted this outcome and because of that it is considered to be performing a malacha, performing a task with that water. So to summarize, water that is not drinkable even by an animal, water that has changed its appearance and water with which a task has been performed would be invalid for Natilas Yodayim.